On today's episode of Neyland's Basement, we discuss the appetizer that was week zero, a late decision for a bowl ban, and we preview week one. Alright guys, welcome back to Neyland's Basement, Tucker Harlan alongside Dominic Throngard. Football is officially back, it happened last weekend, Dom. It did, and man, it felt great to be back. Even though it wasn't the greatest slate of games, I think uh, the uh, disgusting, grotesque college football fan and all of us can enjoy some of these uh, really yeah. lowbrow matchups. The sickos. <laughs> exactly. We are the sickos committee now. Pretty much. And yeah. I mean, exciting weekend for me personally, having turned 21, I was oh, able yeah. to uh, place my first bad beat. Uh, oh, that's not good. <laughs> I took the Vandy under, did not turn out so yeah. well for me. We might discuss that a bit later. Let's get right into it. All right. So starting us off in week zero, you had number 13 Notre Dame taken on Navy. That game was in Ireland. This one was a blowout, 42 to three. Sam Hartman, 19 of 23, 251 yards, four touchdowns, really consistent performance. And defensively, Notre Dame, they only surrendered like 120-something yards to a triple option offense, which is pretty good, all things considered. So very complete performance from the Fighting Irish. Yeah, it is. And, I mean, it's always weird playing a triple option offense because you you have to readjust how you play defense entirely. Well, You say readjust. This is probably the best week to catch the triple option, though, right? Because it's the first week mm-hmm. of the season, and you just don't have to worry about it the rest of the year. Yep, it's kind of uh, you're able to just go in and then forget it ever even happened, playing an offense from you know what feels like ages ago in the college football world. And this one I actually did quite enjoy watching. It was the first game, and so it felt special to me. Being in Ireland, it was a beautiful environment, super cool, and... The Irish actually looked pretty decent in this one, but they were playing against Navy, so who knows how good they really are. Yeah, Navy's rough. This is actually their first season in however long without Ken Numatololo at the helm, Yeah, which is pretty crazy. Definitely a weird feeling, and I mean, Navy did try a couple passes in there, and oh my goodness, it was was some of the worst things you ever had to watch. Oh man, I did see that. (laughs) You had the two guys basically colliding because they didn't know how to... Yep. properly catch the pass there was a no proper route running no proper route timing and then Ugh. i mean the first throw on that surprise pass that looked like it was going to be great to those two guys running into each other that was a pretty okay throw but then the other throws i mean you had guys running back to try and get the ball yeah that is not good at all when you're trying to execute that in an offense that doesn't normally throw the ball and that's what we saw this weekend with navy trying to throw it so you had that game. You also had a team get their first ever win as an FBS school. Jacksonville State defeated UTEP at home 17-14. That's their first ever win at the FBS level. And I got to say, I mean, awesome for the Gamecocks, right? But UTEP, there were just some awful decisions made in that game late uh, just with scheming and whatnot because you've got the ball with a minute 15 to go, and you've set up a nice third and one, right? You think, okay. Maybe we'll try and run it here. No, they go for the end zone with a minute 15 to go on third and one. Makes no sense, right? Because you're trying to eat up the clock, trying to do as much as you can just to 
get it down to a point where, you know, maybe at the very least you can take it to overtime. Well, then on fourth and one, they throw it again and they throw a pick. They pay the price. So I, I to, to that, I just say play stupid games, win stupid prizes. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I know exactly what you mean because I'm it's it's foolish and it's it's sad to see a program lose in this fashion. I mean, it's great to see Jayville State get their first FBS win. Super cool. I always love seeing programs come up to the FBS level and, and be successful. It's it's a really cool thing to be able to watch these smaller places be able to get traction. And they're the only Gamecocks I will ever cheer for, <laughs> being a Tennessee fan and all. But it, sometimes I think the head coaches of these smaller programs try and do too much when they know the spotlight is on them because first one of the first games in the college football world this season – He's going to have actual eyes on this one. So, I don't know, trying to do too much and paying the price. Another important moment I would like to point out from this game, this was the first ever instance in which a coach was penalized for a delay of game because they used back-to-back timeouts because under the new rule changes, you can't do that anymore. It used to be like, say, you had three timeouts left and you need to ice a kicker at either the end of the half of the game. You can only do it once now. You can't do it all three times. So, interesting note there. Yeah, and that upsets me quite a bit, to be honest. It was part of the fun of college football. Oh, yeah. Is that you take a young kid who it could be a total head case, could be cool as a cucumber. You don't know, but he's a young guy. And so multiple timeouts just add so much pressure, so much drama. And I mean, for the NCAA uh, organization that's trying to get more and more commercials, I, this feels like an awkward step for them because I feel like they would have loved having back-to-back timeouts, especially with the... Uh, removal of the stopped clock after first down which was also really annoying i think we've all said it but you know it's just this signaling the end of the ncaa the inevitable end because they're suddenly looking for more commercials i don't know maybe it is but either way it's taking the fun out of the game to some degree and you just you just hate to see it you really hate to see it all right up next number six usc they outran san jose state 56 to 28 Caleb Williams looked like a Heisman winner, right? 18 to 25, 278 yards, four touchdowns through the air. But I'm just not sold on this team at all. And, yes, I'm well aware that it is week zero. There's not much that I can take away from this game. But that defense, man, just so many awful plays, particularly in the first half. Of course, they cleaned up a little bit in the second half, but – you know, you're going to have the Oregons and the Washingtons later on in your schedule. And, I mean, even Utah last year, they couldn't stop Utah one bit. So, you know, you're going to run into these opponents that you're going to have a tougher time stopping if you can't already stop San Jose State. Yeah, this really was not that good of a look for USC. Um, I mean, this is a team that should be absolutely demolishing a team like San Jose State. San Jose State held their own for a surprising amount of time in this one. And... Caleb Williams did look amazing, but it it took him a minute to get going. Nonetheless, I still think he's going to be a great Heisman contender, but it did take him a minute to get going in this one. And like you said, I mean, this USC defense, I I don't know how Grinch still has his job. I don't know what he's got on Lincoln Riley because uh, if he were at any other team, I feel like he'd have to be gone. I'll tell you what this is. This is the defensive version of Brian Ferentz. (laughs) <laughs> pretty much i mean it's just a it's a sheer lack of competence on the defensive end i mean 
you saw last season how everyone would joke about USC not knowing how to make a tackle. They still don't know how to make a tackle. No. It's it's third, a really bad look. Third and 22, and the quarterback just scrambles for a nice 30-yard gain. That's got to get off the field in that situation. Yeah, that's not a play that should ever be happening under any circumstance. And I, I mean, the Pac-12 is actually loaded this year. So uh, we could realistically see like a three-loss USC team. Yeah, I, th- I think it's really possible just with the nature of the Pac-12 right now. And again, hate to say it because it's going to be a great league this year, but it's, it's going to be dead next year, man. It, it sucks. It really sucks. All right, last game we're going to talk about here from last weekend. Vandy survived Hawaii at home 35-28. Vandy actually led this game 35-14 until the fourth quarter, and then Hawaii decided to come back a little bit. Neither team really ran the ball all that well. I mean, both held to about 40 yards. Either they were just disinterested or, you know, the run defenses actually had something to prove there. Uh, lots of focus on the pass attack. I believe it was called the run-and-shoot offense that Timmy Chang was running out there with Hawaii. And, you know, the, the quarterback, Shager, he looked pretty good for Hawaii at mm-hmm. times, but the issue is he threw two picks to the same guy, to Ricky Wright, in just some critical situations. You had one on a drive that would have tied the game late in the first half because they were ruled down at the one after a, a catch and a fumble that, you know, they, you can't advance the fumble. So what ends up happening is they turn it over there, and the other pick was on a would-be game-tying drive that ultimately sealed the game in the end. So basically just bad mistakes in critical situations was the difference here. It really was, and I mean, you can also point directly to Hawaii's red zone offense because they got in the red zone a decent amount, but yeah. they failed to convert numerous times, which in, in any game, you can't afford to do that. But for them, especially since Vandy, uh, there's not many times you can say this, was a better opponent than them. Um, it, they just have to do better in that kind of situation. But I do think it points to better things for Hawaii because um, I, I believe Chang is new, right? I think he was there last year, was he not? I uh, no, you're right. Um, but he's still newer, and so yeah. I I think he's Younger starting. Guy. Yeah, I think he's starting to get this program headed towards the right direction. That seems more familiar to the Hawaii teams I've known in the past, having watched WAC football and yeah. Mountain West football. It's they're starting to look more like uh, a classic throwing Hawaii team. Yeah. So this is year two for Timmy Chang over there in Honolulu and you know it's an an improvement for them after a 63-10 bludgeoning that they took at home last year from the Commodores now this uh, obviously we can't read too far on this but either Hawaii has improved or maybe Vandy's worse than we thought only time will tell uh but we we can't make any of those assumptions this early on we can if we want to, though, for fun. I mean, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I, I'm gonna. My bold take right now is that Vandy's gonna go bowling. I think. I think they can pull it off. I do too, actually. Surprisingly, um, I don't know if some of Man, the members got, of our audience we, would. We got to stop the green on stuff. We got to make this a little bit more exciting. Yeah, I, I know, <laughs> but you know, I I think it's more the fact that our our listening audience might disagree with this stuff. <laughs> yeah, that is fair. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, there will definitely point, be points in which we disagree this season. This is just not one of them. <laughs> All right, that is it for week zero games that we're going to break down here. There were a couple of others, but didn't really involve any major teams. Other than that UMass game uh, where they beat New Mexico State, 
Yeah, surprisingly. That, that was the upset of the week. And I mean, I, I was really convinced that New Mexico State would win. If you did not see before the game, they released perhaps one of the coldest images of pregame yeah. history. They had these black and white ponchos that were absolutely beautiful. I thought they were going to smoke UMass. I thought UMass was cooked. I thought it was done. I thought their program was getting wiped off the map. But New Mexico State takes a huge step back because last season, I believe they were bowling for the first time in a very long time and losing to a UMass team that is considered one of the worst in college football right now is a terrible look. Tyson Pumachon might be my new favorite quarterback. <laughs> so, But, yeah, UMass gets it done. They will move on to play Auburn next week. Uh, but, you know, that game was in in New Mexico. We'll go uh, one state to the left or left, yeah, west. You're, you're, left on the map. Yeah, you're, okay. you're kind of right. You're kind of right. Left on the map here uh, because th- there was an interesting announcement in this state. Arizona State now has a bowl ban, self-imposed, by the way, for the 2023 football season as a result of recruiting violations under Herm Edwards. And I hate this for a couple of different reasons. One, Herm Edwards, all the guys that did everything wrong, they're all gone, right? You have that. So basically what you're doing is you're punishing an administration and players that had no involvement in any of what happened a couple years back. You also have the fact that this is being announced less than a week before the season starts. So, obviously, we went through an investigation here in Knoxville, right? And that was announced well ahead of the season. But, you know, if you're an Arizona State player, you're looking forward to the season, and suddenly you get a notification that, oh, hey, you've got a bowl ban. You no longer have anything to play for. That I feel like that's the mindset that is immediately taken there. And that's why I hate this so much because, you, like I said, you announce that right before the season starts and you're punishing people that had no part in the crime. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And like you said, it's, it's similar to the UT situation. The upper administration already got rid of everyone that was involved with it. And it... It's similar to the UT situation, too, where it's not like the team was any better for the violations. I mean, they had to suffer under Herm Edwards. Why should they have to continue to suffer? And it's just, it's another great example of why I campaign against the NCAA, because the NCAA is punishing the kids for a mistake committed by the coaching staff, by the people who are supposed to be responsible for these young men as they enter a very important stage in their life where... Yeah. You know, it's probably the last time they're going to play football. It's probably the last time they're going to do something that is obviously very important to them, that they love very much. It's it's a real shame, and it's a tragedy. I feel like they continue to punish people who are not deserving of it. Yeah, definitely right about that. And I, I don't have too much to get into there other than that. I just think it's wrong. It's really wrong that these guys have to suffer through this for something that they really did not do. Uh Let's move on to something a little bit happier. We obviously had the appetizer last week in week zero. Now we're on to something of a little bit more substance here in week one. Maybe not as much substance as we're used to, but it's substance. It is. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I don't know if it's all that much happier considering we have to talk about Nebraska. (laughs) Well, all right, then. You you just led into my first game that we're going to break down here. Week one, of course, you've got those games starting on Thursday. Nebraska at Minnesota, that will be 
one of the first, you know, kind of more marquee matchups going into the weekend. It's a I, conference game. Yeah, and, you can call it a big matchup because yeah, it, it's a Big Ten matchup. It's but. a Big Ten matchup, <laughs> and I, I think there's some degree of interest in it, right, because you've got a Minnesota team that is actually projected in the top half of the Big Ten West, which is a bit surprising considering some of the pieces they lost on that offense last year. It'll be interesting to see how it functions without Tanner Morgan, Mo Ibrahim. Uh, but you've got a Nebraska team that is, you know, they they finished the year off on a better note in 2022, and they bring in a coach, Matt Rule, who has managed to build up some programs elsewhere that were, you know, in the gutter there for a bit after the Art Bryles situation with Baylor. So I don't know how quick the rebuild will be necessarily, but... We're going to be looking at an interesting matchup here. Yeah, I think this is a deceptively fun matchup, to be honest, as much as I love joking about Nebraska. Uh, Minnesota is a team that was pretty solid last year, but I think will take step steps back, and Nebraska is a team that finished the year off okay and looked to be on a more positive note than they've seen in a very long time. And that's a team that can potentially sneak up on Minnesota and win this one and take one away early on in the season and get some good feelings going early on here in this rebuild under Matt rule. So I I'm looking forward to it because Nebraska has got a great passionate fan base, which that's the main thing I love about college football. So, you know, I got a little bit of a soft spot for the corn Huskers having seen what they've had to deal with for so long. It's been since 2018 since Nebraska last defeated Minnesota, that, that that's a long time for a program that is considered one of the more marquee programs in all of college football. Yeah, but you're forgetting about uh, those three back-to-back tie. The not the three, but well, it is three, but it's back-to-back-to-back titles oh, for yes, Minnesota back in 1920. Whatever, <laughs> you know, yes. Min- Minnesota's a marquee program of their own. Just uh, not too many people know. Yeah, it's like how the Cleveland Browns were a marquee franchise in the 1950s. <laughs> Pretty much. It's not relevant to anyone today. All right, so in all seriousness, who do you think is going to win this game? I'm going to say Nebraska. I think they walk away with it. I feel like Minnesota does not have any reason to be super positive or excited about this season, considering the pieces they lost on that offense last year. Um, and Nebraska has every reason to take steps forward right now. I just feel like there's more excitement for Nebraska, and when you're coming into a week one matchup, I think that's one of the key separators. Yeah, I think the best area that Minnesota will return in is actually it's receiving game, believe it or not, but the the quarterback and the running back being new, different-looking offensive line, you lose a pretty good bit on that defense, and I just think Nebraska's got more momentum going for them right now, so I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Nebraska here. I will agree with you here on this one. We'll we'll see if that (laughs) will eventually uh, change up here somewhere down the line. It probably will. All right. This next one, everybody in SEC country is looking forward to. Florida at number 14, Utah. Of course, you had the game last year in the swamp. The heroics of one Anthony Richardson led the Gators to a 29-26 victory over Utah in week one. And... Both teams really went on a different course after that game because Utah goes on to win the Pac-12. Florida just kind of flames out and has their second six and seven season in a row in year one of Billy Napier. This is very much a revenge game, but 
it's interesting because Cam Rising's status is up in the air right now. They don't know for sure if he's going to play. I'm actually having a little bit of a harder time with this one. You know, I am not personally. I think Utah takes the cake pretty easy here. Playing in Salt Lake City is a difficult thing to do for teams. I mean, Utah has a phenomenal student section, and they actually have a lot of support down there in Salt Lake. Even with Rising potentially being out, we don't know for sure yet. Uh, there's there's reports right now that are saying the decision will come down to the wire, and this is Tuesday that we're recording, so maybe his status will be solidified by the time we release this. But Utah, I just think, has a lot going for it in this one, as opposed to Florida, which ah, it's it's tough to say exactly how this Florida team will do this year. And maybe it's just the UT fan in me that's a little bit scared just because of uh, how things have typically gone between us. But I don't think they have a reason they should be good, but there's still always a little part of me that's scared of it. Yeah, you never know with Florida, but actually now that you were talking about Utah and Salt Lake City being a tough place to play, I heard earlier today that Utah has not lost in front of fans. Keep in mind, you know, of course, 2020 was a thing. They've not lost in front of fans in Rice-Eccles Stadium since 2018. Yeah, it's it's a really solid home field advantage. And so, I mean, altitude can be a factor, too, to a degree. It can. So I think that's going to tip the balance for me a little bit here. I'm, I'm going to go with Utah just on that notion alone. Now, I, I think Florida is one of the more talented teams just, you know, with, the, of course, the, the, the talent in their backyard is better than a lot of what you will see in the Pac-12. But I... I just think that it's going to be too tough for them out there. I think Utah is going to get it done. I'm inclined to agree. I just I I don't think it'll be very close though. I think that Utah mm. definitely wins by a couple of touchdowns. See now, this is where we disagree. I think this one will be much closer than some people think. I think Utah will get out of there alive, but it will be close. Maybe, but I mean, come on. I, I don't trust Sunbelt Billy too much. We'll see, man. They obviously trusted him enough last year to win it in the swamp, so I guess only only time will tell with this one. We will find out this time Friday who ends up winning between the Gators and the Utes. Speaking of Friday, aren't a ton of marquee matchups on Friday, but you do have a conference matchup. You've got Louisville versus Georgia Tech and the Mercedes-Benz Dome in Atlanta, not at Bobby Dodd Stadium over there at Georgia Tech. I'm feeling like Louisville has this one pretty easily. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. Uh, Louisville with the new coach, uh, Jeff Brom, uh, right? Or Yeah, Jeff okay. Brom, I, I keep, alum. Yeah, I keep, get, I keep getting Louisville. it messed up because uh, I remember the coaching news with Purdue and Louisville, and I can't remember who flipped sides. It was Brom. <laughs> okay, so we got Jeff Brom, who should be leading this program in the right direction, and Georgia Tech, who's coming off an okay year where uh, they hired their interim and they didn't really seem to have a phenomenal reason for doing so besides being mediocre. And I think that Georgia tech is a program that settles for mediocrity right now. Yeah. I'm definitely feeling Louisville. Like I said, just because I think that what Jeff Brown brings with that offense, it's, it's going to be tough for Georgia tech to stop. And, you know, I, I just don't think Georgia Tech is up to par. I, I think we could see a Matt Luke effect like we talked about last week over there at Georgia Tech. 
And then, of course, you factor in that Haynes King is the one making the decisions in the backfield, and we saw what he did over there in College Station, and I just don't really trust him to lead Georgia Tech to a victory over Louisville, especially not in week one. Yeah, there's no way that Hanks King is able to turn around a Louisville team. Or not Louisville, Georgia Tech, forgive me. <laughs> All right, Saturday now. Big noon kickoff. Or is it the big noon kickoff? I think it's a noon game at the very least. Colorado at number 17 TCU. The dawn of the Deion Sanders era in Boulder, Colorado. And you've got the encore performance from Sonny Dykes and the Horn Frogs. This one is interesting just for both of those reasons. I'm feeling TCU wins it a second year in a row just because TCU has proven themselves a little bit. I think it was you last week that mentioned that Sonny Dykes, you know, he came in there and we didn't know what to expect of him. We don't know what to expect of him this season, but he could very well develop that team into something special again. I'm just not buying the Deion Sanders hype at Colorado just yet. Maybe this game will change it for me, but right now I'm not seeing it at all. Yeah, all I'm seeing for Colorado is an 12 season. I, I, I'm not confident in these guys at all. So you think he's going to flame out worse than Carl Durrell? I think that he doesn't do any better. That, because, I mean, he he's forced out players, which is never a good look. And I, I don't see any reason why this Colorado team will be all that great. I mean, they brought in some good guys that came with Dion. But, I mean, just the style of coaching that seems to be present there does not seem to care too much about the players. And that kind of culture I don't think bodes well. That's why JT Shroud is at Arkansas State now instead of Colorado. Yeah, I don't think that bodes well for a program in a mildly difficult conference. Well, no, pretty difficult conference this year, uh, although it's typically not been as difficult as it has been uh, in these last couple years. But... TCU, I think, walks away so easily with the win here. And, yeah, like like you were saying, I mentioned last week that Sonny Dykes could potentially turn this TCU team into something again just because we did not think that he would be where he got to last season at all. No one predicted it. So, I mean, he could just be a great coaching talent. All right, up next, the Chris Peterson Bowl. This is near and dear to your heart. The, the fact that you call it the Coach Pete Bowl is disgusting to me because I don't I don't remember him as a Washington coach and he never will be to me. <laughs> he did he did get into the college football playoff though, so he's he did, but he's not he's not a Washington coach in my eyes. He he's forever Boise State's darling little angel, and uh, you know this is a very exciting game, um, and it's one that's been played a couple of times in the past as well. I actually. There's uh, like about a decade ago when I was just a wee little lad, I traveled to Husky Stadium to watch Boise State play against Washington. And those Husky fans are mean, especially to little kids and old ladies. <laughs> Apparently um, Virginia Tech fans are too. They are. Uh, being a traveling Boise State fan as a little kid apparently catches you a lot of flack because uh, I certainly got it in the away games I went to. But this is a fun matchup for a lot of reasons. I mean, Michael Penix, we're going to see if he's able to recreate the success that Washington had last season and if they can build on that because there's a lot of people who have a lot of faith in Washington this year with what they're bringing to the table. But Boise State, I wouldn't say I'm the highest on him that I've been. I'm not the biggest believer in Andy Avalos, but I do like Taylor Green, and I think that he's capable of growing into a really good quarterback and he's, he's had a lot of exciting plays this past season with Boise State. And, you know, gaining a year always helps a quarterback improve. Usually you don't see a ton of regression. So 
I would like to pick Boise State in an upset here because this is somewhat of a rivalry game. Boise State always feels like the little brother to these Pacific Northwest programs, and they always come out on fire in these ones. They really, they really like to play against teams like Oregon, Oregon State, and Washington. We love to play against those guys. Now this is where we disagree. I have got to go with the Washington Huskies here. And listen, you've got Michael Penix coming back, like you just mentioned. You've also got, let's see, the top five receivers in that offense coming back as well in a pass-heavy offense. Of course, they did lose their top running back for the season, but I feel like that's a loss they can stomach. So I'm all in on Washington here. I I really believe in what Kalen DeBoer is doing out there. Give me the Huskies in this one. Give me the Huskies. At the bare minimum, though, I do think that Boise State beats the spread in this one. I think it's going to be a close game, and I think it's going to be a fun one. Okay. Here's a very under-the-radar matchup for you. Coastal Carolina at UCLA. Of course, Jamie Chadwell is off to take Hugh Freeze's job at Liberty, but Coastal Carolina returns Grayson McCall, the guy that really sparked a lot of the excitement that we saw there in 2020, and I think it's kind of carried over, or it definitely has carried over, into... 2023 UCLA has lost some pretty big pieces on offense I believe they just named a starting quarterback the other day but of course this guy will be taking over for Dorian Thompson Robinson um let me take a look real quick who was that guy Ethan Garbers was his name uh named the starting quarterback there uh they lose Zach Charbonnet as well their top running back it'll be interesting to see if Chip Kelly can rebuild Yeah, it's definitely a big question because we know Chip Kelly is capable of doing great things when he has the talent, but it seems like he doesn't have a ton of talent on this team right now. So this just not developed talent. Yeah, exactly. And this game could end up being a really fun one because both these teams love to play offense. So I I like this one, but I still take UCLA just because of uh, the pedigree of what's been built there so far by Chip Kelly. Let me get bold here for a second. I'm going to go with Coastal Carolina in this one. And I know it's a little crazy. And I I know, obviously, there's a first-year head coach over there in Conway. But you've got Grayson McCall. And it's not like UCLA's playing in front of hundreds of thousands of fans. They're playing in front of tens of thousands of fans. They don't sell out the Rose Bowl regularly. Yeah, they don't do much with the Rose Bowl, unfortunately. But uh, I I can't pick against UCLA here. I mean... Coastal Carolina, I mean, you got to love the hype with them from the past couple years, but I don't know what they've done to warrant the hype this year. All right, we'll have a split decision on these last two games now. Interesting. Uh, Here's one that will be of some interest to Tennessee fans, potentially. This was a game of interest for us last year as well, if I remember. Mm -hmm. It was a great game. UTSA at Houston. I believe, I think it was Houston that won last year. Let me, uh, yes, it was Houston that won 37-35 to 35 in three overtimes last season. This was a great game. And, of course, Tennessee's going to play UTSA in the fourth week of the season. So it's a game to look out for. And this is, of course, Houston's first game in the Big 12. They're finally getting bumped up. UTSA's first game in the American Athletic Conference as well. So both of these schools getting promoted a little bit just because of the success they have had on the field. 
Yeah, this should definitely be an exciting one to watch and a very close contest. Both of these teams have proven themselves as good teams for the past couple of years now. They've been very solid programs, and with them moving up, it should be interesting to who responds better. And obviously, as Vols fans, we're very interested in this matchup because we get to see if uh, Mr. Trailer there at UTSA has cooked up something again. And personally, I'm hoping not, but should be a razor-thin game. I mean, Houston's only favored by two points in this one. But, I mean, the Cougs are at home. I'll take Houston this one. Meep, meep. <laughs> That's what I'm going with to win the game. I'm going with the Roadrunners here because I, there's a lot of new pieces on that Houston offense this year. Clayton Toon is finally gone. And you've got Donovan Smith, a new quarterback in there. you got a couple of other uh, new receivers, new faces at receiver in there as well. And UTSA's got a lot back. I know they lost their best receiver to Ole Miss last year, but they were pretty deep in that receiving core last season. You've got a very experienced quarterback in Frank Harris. I believe they're too deep at running back as well. It's going to be a shootout for sure, but at the end of the day, meep, meep. Nah, I'm taking Houston. <laughs> No, that, that that's it's going to come down to the wire, and I really could see this one going either way, but that's that's who I like. I like the Roadrunners here. All right, West Virginia at number seven, Penn State. This is going to be a blowout. I think Penn State wins this one easily. We know that West Virginia does not want Neil Brown there. You might consider this a rivalry game, but I just don't see a way in which this one's close. Yeah, and I mean, every time I hear West Virginia, I'm like, is Neil Brown still there? There's no way Neil Brown is still there. Neil Brown is still there. And he's still there. Uh, it's a team that will be stuck in purgatory until Neil Brown's gone. I mean, there's no way they win this one. Yeah, that it, I just don't see a way in which it's possible just because they they, they want that guy gone so bad, and, you know, it it feels like a foregone conclusion at this point. We I think there's a lot of trust in Drew Allar. And I think James Franklin will have his team ready to play. Okay, here's another Big Ten matchup for you. This one's not really going to be good. I don't think it's just the fact that it's on CBS and it's a conference game. Number three, Ohio State at Indiana. Taven Jackson's debut for the Hoosiers. But you've got Ohio State who is just going to completely overmatch this team. They named Kyle McCord as their starter today, by the way. Uh, so... We'll see what he he does, but you know he's going to be another one of the line of five stars, right, who has just done so well for Ohio State. So I, I think there's just going to be no issue with Indiana. Yeah, unfortunately, USC has – or not USC. Ohio State seems to have a limitless line of five-star quarterbacks that they can just draw from at any time. And no matter which one they're picking, you know that it, they're going to be good. They've just had phenomenal quarterbacks over the years, whether or not – I'm personally a fan of that, which I can tell you I'm not. So I, it's just going to be Ohio State all day in this one. And, I mean, I'm excited to see what happens when Ohio State plays a real team. But for now, it's just going to be wins as usual. Yep. Okay, college game day. Number 21, North Carolina versus South Carolina. This game is going to be played in Charlotte. It's considered the Dukes-Mayo Classic. It's not to be confused <laughs> with the bowl game. Uh, should be a pretty intriguing matchup. And it's one that that word should should really be emphasized because Drake May and Spencer Rattler have limitless potential at quarterback. But we also know that there can be a bad version of them that shows up sometimes. So 
again, this should be a great matchup, provided that both of those guys do what we know they can do. Absolutely. And Drake May has just been the far more consistent of the two. North Carolina looked like a very solid team last year. Phenomenal offensively, not so great on the defensive end. But the South Carolina team only showed up for, I don't know, like two or three of the games last year uh, with Spencer Rattler performing extremely well. Unfortunately, one of them was against Tennessee, which we all know he had an incredible game. So this is really a question of will Spencer Rattler show up this season? Will he be any good? Will he be anywhere near the glimpses of potential we saw last season? And a lot of people are thinking that he will be able to recreate the success more consistently, but I'm still just not sold on the guy because he's been so inconsistent for so long. I think that Drake May is much more consistent out of the two, and I just feel like there's no way North Carolina's defense can be any worse than it was last season because it was despicably bad. This is such a tough one for me because South Carolina is patchy in several areas, right? They don't have a very good situation at running back or up front of that offensive line right now. Their run defense, particularly the front seven, doesn't look great, but we know the secondary can be pretty good. I'm really going back and forth on this one. I know the last time these two met, South Carolina won pretty easily in a bowl game, but that's because North Carolina was disinterested at that point, and, you know, South Carolina is one of those 6-6 six and six teams that's just happy to be there, or not just happy to be there, but, you know, they want to be there. They want to be where they are. So with that in mind, wow, this this is a tough one because, again, that word should just keeps creeping back into the conversation. <sighs> I'm going to go with South Carolina. Bold take, but I won't stand for it. I mean, North Carolina, I really think, should win this game. Unless unless Rattler proves that he is everything he has been supposed to be for like the past four years. I just think that North Carolina takes this. Yeah, but, you know, there were some ways last year. They just found dumb ways to lose last season, like to NC State. That NC State team did not look great down the stretch. And they found a way to lose that game. So it's true, but the issue is, is we know North Carolina can score and we know they probably will. But if Rattler isn't the guy creating touchdowns for South Carolina, who is? This this is what makes this game so difficult because there's just a lot of things that we we can't predict off the top of our heads with these two quarterbacks. So again, it, it really is a QB duel. Yeah, it's a QB duel. It, should be a good QB duel. Again, the, the word should. I can't stop using it here. This is probably why we should move on to the Sunday games now. Uh, first one here for you, Northwestern at Rutgers. This is going to be a terrible game. It's just a conference game that yeah. just so happened to sneak its way into week one. Give me the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Give me the fighting Greg Shianos to win this game. Amen to that. I mean, this is the misery bowl. These are two programs that have been <laughs> in pure agony for the past while. And Northwestern <laughs> has nothing to play for, though, right? They don't have <laughs> nope. they, they have an interim head coach. They went one and eleven last season. Didn't even win on U.S. soil, and their last head coach got fired not because he had a bad year last year, but because of. Amazing allegations. And he did have a bad year last year, but he wasn't going to get fired. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't going to get fired for going 1-11. So That's I, incredible. It is. And, I mean, give me, give me Rutgers in the Agony Bowl. 
Yeah, I will go with Rutgers here easily. Uh, let's move on from the Agony Bowl to probably the best game of the weekend. Number five, LSU versus number eight, Florida State. Revenge is in the air with this one. We know it was a great game last year. It was a great bad game last year, I guess, is the best way to put it. A lot of just weird mistakes made in that game that somehow led to a Florida State victory in New Orleans. This game is going to be played in Orlando, and this is going to be a real test to see if Mike Norvell can sustain what he did last season. It's also going to be a test to see if LSU and Brian Kelly can prove that last year was not just one of those years where you get good early and then suddenly you know you sink into that eight nine win level of mediocrity it's definitely an interesting matchup and i'm really looking forward to this one knowing that both these teams have a lot to prove coming into this season florida state extreme expectations i mean the fact they're ranked number eight feels a bit ridiculous considering where they were last season which they were in a good spot but number eight i mean you got to prove something first before you get put that high. So I think that LSU is in the better position here, despite it being more so in Florida state's backyard. I think that Brian Kelly is a coach that is settled in now. I feel like he has something going there that's worthwhile. And I think he's better at playing mistake free football. And I think that's what they're going to need in this game, because I feel like this is a classic week one matchup of teams with a lot of talent, a lot of potential, and the team that makes the fewer mistakes and keeps their heads better will win. And I feel like Florida State just has so many expectations on it right now that they just will not be able to keep their heads. Give me Florida State. It's in their backyard. And really, if they don't win this game, then I don't think they can have a good season in 2023. And, you know, as much as people don't like Florida State at times when they're good – it's it's a sign that college football is healthy when Florida State is good. Eh, I don't know. I, I have liked Florida State teams in the past with like Jameis Winston. He was a fun watch, but still, I think that I think that LSU takes this one because Florida State, going back to what I said last week, Mike Norvell was mediocre for quite some time and then magically kind of had this good season last year where it was good, but it was not great. It was not a phenomenal season. So I don't understand where this level of hype is coming from. I know that they have the talent, but I feel like I feel like they're no better than an eight or nine win team. I feel like anything above that is exceeding expectations. Well, you're in a weak ACC. You do have to remember that. It's true, but Clemson and LSU should both be losses for these guys. Okay. We'll see how that one goes, and we we have disagreed quite a bit, <laughs> surprisingly. <laughs> we finally warmed up to our midseason form. Yes, we're a little bit more midseason form than we thought we might be. All right, Labor Day. Number nine, Clemson travels to Durham to Wallace Wade Stadium to take on Duke in this week. And Duke is a team that returns a lot of, of what it had last season. They went 9-4 and four last year in Mike Elko's first year there, which is one of the best seasons you can possibly have at Duke. Now, I think this is going to be a tougher year for them because it's a divisionless ACC. You're going to have a lot of tougher matchups sprinkled in there as th- rather than what you would have had 
say, in the ACC Coastal last season. So, of course, Clemson is the very first one of those. And from a talent perspective, they're just outmatched here. i got to go with Clemson. Yeah, I completely agree. And I'm pretty high on Clemson this year. I think that people are forgetting how shortly removed they are from a national championship. Are you wondering what Cade Klubnik's parents are doing right now? (laughs) I might be because ESPN was broadcasting them nonstop during the Orange Bowl, and it seemed to be the only people's parents that showed up to that game. Apparently, Joe Milton doesn't have parents. Apparently, Yeah, they uh, definitely don't live like an hour away in Florida. Yeah, no way. But... uh, pretty funny there no doubt the fact that ESPN was so obsessed with them but I I think that Clemson is good and I do I do like Klubnik watching him play against us I saw that he has the potential to be a great quarterback over there and we all know that the Clemson defense is consistently a strong one I think that they're in a good spot to succeed considering how weak the ACC is and we could see him in the playoff again this year speaking of Tennessee this is our very last game that we're going to go through here on week one they played Virginia in Nissan Stadium back in my old stomping grounds in Nashville. I don't think this game's going to be particularly close because, of course, Virginia coming off of the horrible tragedy that happened over there. But before that, they were not very good to begin with, right? They finished the year 3-7. and seven. They've got some decent pieces returning on that defense, although they did lose their top defensive end today, at least for the week, uh, because of an injury to his knee. And on offense, it's going to be a completely different look. And I was talking with somebody earlier about this, but Tony Bennett, or not Tony Bennett, (laughs) Tony Elliott. There's too many Tonys on that campus, man. Uh, Tony Elliott. If they had Tony Bennett coaching, I'd be a little bit worried. They had... A great offense in place, right, with Brennan Armstrong. That guy was throwing for 450-plus on a weekly basis. He couldn't do that last year in the system, and now they've lost all the good pieces or everything that was good about that system. They lost their three best receivers. Unfortunately, one was to the shooting, but the other two uh, have just gone on, graduated. Um, And then, of course, you've got the the running back situation is not – Amazing. You have like three guys coming back there this year that we're all just kind of middling. If you do get Kobe Pace from Clemson, who's not bad, but you know, he never did anything significant because of Will Shipley and Travis Etienne. And you got a new quarterback coming in from Monmouth and Tony Musket, which is a cool name for a quarterback, but there's just a lot of things that you don't know about that team and that offensive line, I believe. All like none of their starters have like actually had a start against an FBS opponent, which is not good. Yeah, there there's no reason the Vols shouldn't win this one. So I mean, Tennessee by a million. End of story. Really, I I just you got a score specifically. I'm gonna say sixty three. Wow. Two. Wow. Fourteen. Okay. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it, and I want it. I mean, this Vols team, by all means, should have a field day, especially against a team like this where, really, if they want to, on all three downs, they can just have Joe Milton toss bombs and see if they hit. And, I mean, I could see him going, you know, 7 of 32 on all bombs and get touchdowns from just that. So, I mean, there's a there's a million different ways the Vols can score on this team, and there's no reason that they should let up. So, 
I, I got to go with the Vols. Okay, so you are most definitely feeling it there. I'm maybe not feeling it quite as much as you are, but I think that it's still not going to be close. I, I'm zeroing in on 45 to 14. I think you'll see a couple of touchdowns scored there by Virginia, but I'm just with the new the new defense or new offense rather. And the fact that they have not seen anything close to what they're going to see with this Josh Heupel offense. Like the closest thing that they saw last year was North Carolina's air raid. And again, Tennessee does not run an air raid. It's a much different offense than that. So uh, again, do not think that game is going to be particularly close. And that's all we got for week one here on Neyland's basement. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. For Dominic Throngard, I'm Tucker Harlan. We will, I guess, see you or you'll hear us next week, rather, talking about all these week one (laughs) matchups. All right. We will catch you next week.